0: Good morning, everyone. So my wife, Laura, is an avid photographer. And, and by avid, I don't mean like she's taken classes. She hasn't gone to like art school to learn the uh, finer techniques of photography. By, by avid, I mean she has a really good eye for some, for some unique perspectives on pictures. And she likes to take pictures. Lots and lots of pictures. Uh, I, um, have you ever seen anybody pulled up that like new YouTube video called Instagram Husband? Anybody, you have to do that search. It's awesome. So it's like this rap song about being an Instagram husband. So it's like we used to eat our food. Now we have to take a picture first, you know? It's, <laughs> cause, well, well, that's kind of what it's like, you know? The, if you make a meal, it's like no, don't eat it yet. Yeah, let's take a picture of it, okay? And and she's an avid gardener, and and her number of pictures she takes of things growing in her garden almost is time lapse. I mean, it's that many pictures. So, so she loves to take pictures. When we go on family vacations, there's amazing things. Uh, I, I like pictures, but I'm one of those people that's torn between, do I, do I take a picture or do I enjoy the moment? And I usually opt for enjoying the moment. Which means, if you were to look through our family albums at home that add like actual physical pictures, or through, through online or our, or our digital fi- pictures, there are a ton of pictures of our family, There are a ton of pictures of me, and hardly any pictures of Laura, because she's always taking the picture, but she's creative, and to get pictures of herself in the photo album, she has lots of pictures of her feet, (laughs) intentionally. Like, if we're at the beach on vacation, there's Laura's feet in the ocean. Here's Laura's feet in the river that we're walking in. If we're out on our kayaks on the lakes, I'm off fishing somewhere, here's a picture of Laura's feet and the kayak in the mountains. Because I just don't take pictures that often. And she looks about a 35-year-old SLR that takes film. And I could probably, this is probably true, if I were to go find where that camera is and dig through the bag, there's still probably rolls of film that are undeveloped in that bag. You remember film? Anybody? Anybody? You know, the rolls of film, and you, you go on vacation, you take pictures, and you wind it up and put them in a the little canister. And eventually, when you remember, you take them all to get them developed. And it took like a week. And then, but then there was a miracle, and we had one-hour photo. Right? It was awesome. And you'd get the little folders, and you'd open them up and start going through. And it's like, well, that one's crap. That one's awesome. That one's ugly. There's a picture of a foot unintentionally. There's a lens cap. Oh, there's a really good one. Remember that? Yeah, kind of. That was a long time ago. digital photography changed everything. Because now you don't care about wasting film, it's just space that you can delete. So it's like, and then you take them and you look through them. And and what's absolutely amazing is that I was actually at a gathering of friends last night, hadn't seen each other for a long time, and a lot of pictures were taken. And you take the picture, it's like, this is great, come here. Look at that, remember that? Yeah, it was like 30 seconds ago. Digital cameras have brought about instant reminiscence. Right? And then you probably never look at it again, because you just had the memory, and you looked at it and acknowledged it and moved on to the next thing. Now, believe it or not, this actually has to do with the message this morning. And we'll discover that momentarily. Well, we went in the midst of the book of Mark, and last week's sermon, we said, was, was the absolute, absolute center of the book of Mark of what is going on in this amazing story of how Jesus came on the scene and and asked people to follow him, and he's been showing through powerful means who he is, and and the disciples really haven't gotten it yet. But but last week, on the road to this town, Jesus said, Who do people say I am? And Peter made this amazing uh, statement of, You are the Christ. But we discovered through that conversation that what Jesus was saying is that I don't think that word means what you think it means. That He said, Christ, you got the title right, but now I'm going to teach you what being Christ, being the Messiah, actually means. And and it means the Messiah is going to suffer and going to die, and it's going to rise again. And if we remember, Peter got all flustered about that and, and, and basically pulled Jesus aside and says, that's not what a Messiah does. Messiahs don't die. Messiahs don't suffer. Messiahs are winners. They're triumphant. The one we've always longed for that's going to bring us as God's people back to our rightful place. The messiahs don't lose, and this sounds like losing. And, and Jesus made that comment to him, get behind me, Satan. Hey, you're, you're thinking more about the things of people instead of the things of God. Right? And then, and then we come to today's passage. And we wanted to look last week and remind ourselves of a story that had happened right before that scene where Jesus had healed a blind man, and it was kind of this progressive healing. He touched his eyes says, what do you see? And the man says, I see people, but they, they look like trees walking around. And so Jesus touched his eyes again, and, and it says, then his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And, and we saw Jesus in his interaction with his disciples, and we see Mark writing to his audience That 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 was a new way for us to see how Jesus works in our lives. He wants to give us spiritual sight, but it takes time. And and he touches again, now what do you see? Now what do you see? And over time, Jesus wants to heal our vision so that we see things, everything everything clearly, but but it takes a long time. And we're going to see that take place again today. In Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 2, it says, After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him. And led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He didn't know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen. Until the Son of Man had risen from the dead, they kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it was written about him had this, this moment where on, on one level Peter and the other disciples saw something new, saw something that they understand differently about Jesus. You are the Christ. And then and Jesus went to great lengths to try to explain to them that the Messiah, he is, the king of God's kingdom that he is, is very different from the one that they ever thought it would be. And they just didn't understand it. And so Jesus took these three, Peter, James, and John, up on this mountain and they had this experience that is really beyond description where it says they were, they were sitting there and they saw in front of them Jesus, who it said had been transfigured, who had been changed, it looks like. He looked differently, where his, his clothes and his whole being was radiant white, whiter than anything could be bleached. And Moses and Elijah, these two historic figures, were there with them, and they were all glowing. In the book of Luke, it says, they, they looked like a, a flash of lightning that was so bright they couldn't look at it. And, and Peter makes this statement, let's build three tents. And we, we wonder what that's talking about. And, and, and scholars have debated that. What was he talking about? Was building tents related to the, the, the Hebrew celebration of Purim, the, the festival of booths? Was it, was it connected to that sometime? Was it just that, hey, it, it, it's, it's sunny or hot, let's build tents, we can have shelter? What, what does it mean? And the consensus among most scholars is that what Peter was really saying was, let's, let's prolong this moment, let's commemorate this moment, let's take a picture that we can remember. And we realize through the context of this that his kind of a cockamamie idea. Taking a picture wasn't going to accomplish anything. Putting up this thing to commemorate this moment was not really what it was about. If we were to look back over several of the stories we've experienced in this first half of the book of Mark, all these amazing things that have happened, in some ways if this was today and not back then things would have played out differently we think if we're taking pictures you know we we talk facebook and you post things and people like them that's a big deal right so so if this was today and and we remember the story of jesus feeding the 5000 Right, And he took meager offerings and, and resources the disciples had, five loaves and two fish, and miraculously turned them in. You could see that today as you took a picture. Look what we had. Look what it became. Look what's left over. This is amazing. And you post it on Facebook and it's like, 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 like. probably 5,000 likes, right? Look what happened. Or we have the story when when Jesus cast the thousands of demons, the legions of demons out of that one man, right? Who was just this terror. He terrorized the community. But but all of a sudden, after Jesus cast out these demons, that he was in his right mind and he was clothed. And that would be a perfect opportunity for a before and after picture. Look what he used to look like. Now look at him. Ooh, like, 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 like. That's what it would have been like. And this moment... Look what happened to us on the mountaintop. I'm going to take, this isn't just a picture, this is a selfie. Moses, move, move, down, okay, Moses lied you here, you're blocking me. Jesus, This is perfect, I'm going to post that one, like, 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 like. And then with Facebook, who has throwback Thursday, and sometimes these pictures come up from your past, whenever that appear to be, remember that moment on the mountain? That was awesome. Moses was there. It's kind of shiny, it's kind of bright, but that's Moses. But That's me. Because that's what taking a picture is. The problem is that when you take pictures, it's really left up to the memory of the person that was in it. What actually took place. You see, what I think is happening here is Jesus is saying, we're not building tabernacles, don't, don't build a tent. And it says Peter was so uh, frightened he didn't, he didn't know what to say. So he said, let's build some, build some tents let's commemorate this moment, let's make it last, let's take a picture. Jesus didn't want him to take a picture. Instead, Jesus was giving them a whole different glimpse into something else. It was a sense that the curtain was pulled back a bit to see Jesus in his splendor, and it wasn't that Jesus became something new. No, the, the disciples that were there in that moment were able to see him as he really is. He gave them a glimpse into something that they could never have imagined. Not, ooh, that was something Jesus became something, but more, they were able to see it in a different way. This was about changing their whole perspective about who Jesus is. Remember, he's been saying, he said, you are the Christ, and he's basically saying, you don't really know what that means. And now they're going to see something different about him that they didn't know before. It was the same Jesus, but it was a new kind of reality. It was a life-changing moment. For Peter. And we know that because of uh, how, what he said in the book of 2 Peter. In verses 16 through 18, he says, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We know that when Peter wrote this letter to a church, it was getting close to the end of his life. And we've seen throughout the book of Mark that that Peter kept missing the point along with the the other disciples. There was this level of failure and it will continue after this passage for, for a while. But something happened starting at this moment that radically changed who Peter was and, and what he understood about Christ to so the point that he wrote about it. And, and what's interesting is this, this voice they heard, it sounds very similar to what we heard at the very beginning of the book of Mark when, when Jesus was baptized. And he came out, out of the river, and, and there was this sense, we, we looked in great detail, that the way Mark expressed, expressed this story to his audience was that Jesus was the only one who saw the heavens being torn apart, and Jesus was the only one who saw the Spirit descending like a dove, and Jesus heard the voice that said, You are my son, and you I'm well pleased. But now we have this situation where that voice is heard by these disciples and it radically changed their life forever. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. In other words, all this stuff he's been telling you about the Messiah, the the anointed one, the king, this this is my son, and listen to him. What he's telling you about suffering, and dying, and rising again, it's true. Listen to him. Listen to him. Be focused on what he has to say to you. Have spiritual eyes to hear. It it changed everything. In fact, if I were to summarize what I think is going on here, Jesus wanted the disciples to to not take a picture. He wanted to transform the picture into a window, into something that would give new insight into everything. Changing a, a picture to a window. You see, pictures are static pictures don't change. Pictures can be deceptive. Pictures and mementos and monuments can, can be deceptive. They, they're, they're dependent on the memory of the person who was there and what actually happened. And, and sometimes a picture can lie. There was a, a pretty profound song back in like 2002 by, by a pop rock artist named Pink. You don't think I listened to Pink? <laughs> there was a song that was called Family Portrait. And it's a haunting song. It was written from the perspective of a little girl in a family. It wasn't just about a dysfunctional family. It was about an abusive family. And the video that went along with it, it's showing us the abuse of the father and the mother and this torn up little girl because of this home she lives in. And it was destructive. It was horrible. It was haunting. But the chorus of the song said, but in our family portrait, we looked pretty happy. We looked pretty normal. Let's go back to that. A picture can lie, and there, there are probably a lot of us who will look at a picture and go, well, but, hey, that picture is great, that looks really good, it looks really fun, it looks really perfect, but, but there's a story behind it. I, I was together with a group of friends last night, there were about 20 of us, and we, we actually all lived in the same dorm in college from 1979 to 81. And, and who has a dorm reunion? <laughs> but we did, it was this amazing group of people. We had a tenure reunion once for that dorm. we had like a hundred people show up. We had about like twenty people show up to a uh, a family run business of one of these people from this group last night and we, we some of us have kept track over the years. Facebook has kind of let us keep in touch a little bit so we kind of know what's going on in people 's lives. We have our own closed Facebook group of this anybody who lived in the dorm through these two year period and, and you know when you start a group like that, all these pictures start showing up. I had hair down to about here sideburns this is nineteen seventy nine You know, and and fun pictures where you look and go, Life was about playing air guitar in a band. Right? I mean these are the things you did, and you look at the pictures and you go, Wow, this is amazing. All the pictures are full of fun and parties and happiness and potential. And if all you had were pictures, that's what you would think. Life was great at the dorm in Greeley. (laughs) They're real stories. And no matter how fun the picture looked, you know in those pictures that there were lots of questions. But You know, you're lonely in college. You're still wondering. There's a lot of potential, but what's going to happen next when I'm done? And and you see those pictures. And about a year ago, the first person from that group that was in all that died of a disease. And boy, that caused more pictures. And that actually spurred this idea of, hey, let's just get together last night. And we all showed up, and a lot more pictures were taken. And I heard some of the stories of pain that you knew went on. Because the picture can actually lie. But we need to let it become a window into the reality of how God wants us to view the world. And I'm going to show you a picture. To kind of give an example. And see if you can see this picture. This is, this is me. And my wife, Laura. And we are decked out. This, this picture happened in the midst of a very interesting part of my career journey. So I was a pastor for about 25 years, Uh, the last 10 of which uh, was at a church in Highlands Ranch that we planted uh, back in the late 90s, and and after about 10 years, we we closed that church. The church had a lot of uh, amazing things that happened during 10 years. It was an awesome time. A lot of people came to Christ. It was an amazing, beautiful time of 10 years of my life that, that ended... When we realized the seasons of that church was over and there was a lot of internal turmoil and church politics and a culture of gossip had developed. And we said, we need to close. I stepped away then from the pastorate as a, a job and, and went and worked in the nonprofit world. I spent several years at Mile High United Way developing a, a real great network of people in the nonprofit community that are doing amazing work. Uh, helping people in, in poverty and helping people that, that are way behind in their education and, and, and trying to find ways to help people who are in poverty be able to, to get to economic self-sufficiency. and spent many years there. And then from there, I, I went and worked at Kaiser Permanente for a couple of years and oversaw all of their community benefit work and their community relations work, wh- which meant we purchased tables at lots of fundraisers, including ones like this, that... It was in January 26th of 2013. And, and we did so many of this. was the Heart Ball, which is a big fundraiser for the American Heart Association. And, and we're, we're surrounded by wealthy, beautiful, lovely people. And it's like, wow, my career is really taking off. I bought a tuxedo because we did so many of these. Now, what you don't see in this picture is that two hours before this picture was taken, I had just done a memorial service. Memorial service for a friend, named Gary, who had committed suicide. And I mentioned to you what had happened to this church that kind of torn apart by gossip and kind of turmoil. And the family was connected to that. But they called me and said, Dale, can you come do the funeral? And you don't say no to a funeral. And I was kind of nervous about this, not nervous about what I was going to say or about how the service would go, but I was, I was nervous because I knew in that church that day, and, and it was packed, there were going to be a lot of people who were part of a lot of pain in my life. But, but I had to go. And, and I had met with the family and, and talked through things. I said, can we be honest about suicide? And they said, yes. Yes. And, and so we're in this service, and, and it was an amazing time, and, and, and memorial services are fascinating, and it's, it's one of the things I miss most about being in the pastorate. And, and it sounds weird to say, but I, I, I love funerals. Because they're, they're amazing sacred times. And in a, in, a, in a memorial service, there's laughter, and there are tears, and you live in this awkward dichotomy between, we're, we're seeing a slideshow of amazing things in this man's life, and yet he, he, he committed suicide. And so I I talked about what I termed in that service that Gary had the sometimes fatal illness of depression. Now, now what's interesting is after the service was over, and, and we had to change clothes to go to this thing, but I hung around for a while, and there was a line of probably 50 people that wanted to come to talk to me because they wanted to say this was the service about suicide that we never had for a loved one. We couldn't talk this way at my mom's service because we had to keep the picture pretty. And we couldn't be real. And then throughout all those conversations that I'm there, people were calling me pastor. And I hadn't been a pastor by title for like six or seven years. Pastor, what time is church tomorrow? It's like, well, this this isn't, I don't pastor this church. Well, where's your church? You want to come? Well, I I don't pastor a church anymore. And and then we headed off to the ball. And really, this this was a transfiguration moment. This is where this picture of of where my career had gone from being the pastor to United Way to to the heartball wearing tuxedos to now, you know, the last couple of years of of, of running a food bank and, and giving people who need food. And it's just this journey that I never would have written out for myself. And in a lot of ways, it makes no sense at all. But, but, but that night, at that time, and I remember it all so vividly because it wasn't just this pretty picture. As soon as we got this picture and it, and it came to our house, it's like, this picture does not say the truth. The truth is a glimpse behind it of how God is at work and it's transfiguring and transforming my sight to how I see my life no matter where I am and what job I have and where I go. It's a, it's a, it's a different way of seeing things. And so Jesus didn't want the disciples to see new things. He wanted to see them, them to see the same things with new eyes. You need to see something differently, I haven't you. This is who I am, and I 'm letting you see what that is for just this moment. And just as quickly the Moses Elijah were gone, and Jesus wasn't shining white anymore. But it, it changed everything. You see, up till now, as we look at the story of the book of Mark, I think the disciples have been living life on the safety of the shore or or, or in the shallow end of the pool, where everything has been about the God who does stuff. This is the God who has healed people and and, and raised a little girl from being dead. He, He cast out demons. He taught with authority. He did amazing things. He changed people's circumstances. And that's kind of the shallow end of the pool because we all love that thing about God, change my circumstance, give me the cool thing, my career is on this skyrocketing path and then it's not. Instead, Jesus, by giving a glimpse to these three disciples of how everything is different when they have their sight changed, when their hearing is changed, to hear and be attuned to the things of God, listen to him. Don't just take a picture everything changes. And life in the deep end of the pool or out in the deeper sea is where you come to grips with the God who is. And they were living in this interesting place in the mountain where they saw this glorious thing. This is amazing. This is who Jesus really is. And then they had to head down the mountain. And as we'll see in the next passage, they kind of reverted their same old stuff. And Jesus said to them, don't say anything to anyone about this. And this was the first time in the book of Mark where he's told people not to talk about it, and they actually listened to him. It's if they didn't talk about what they just saw at all. But they did discuss this idea that he said about the resurrection of the dead, when, when this, this Messiah, the Son of Man, will rise from the dead. Because the conception then that they, they believed in a general resurrection, at the end of time, people would rise. But this idea of one person rising... when before. It just didn't make sense. And then they asked this question. And he said, is it, why, does the, why does the teacher of the law say Elijah must come first? And Jesus said, yep, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restore all things. Then he says, Elijah has come. And he's kind of reminding them, or reminding us of John the Baptist, who, who we saw earlier, basically referred to as Elijah. The one has come. Now all that's left is the Messiah and the suffering. And he's reminding them that the teachers of the law have said that the Messiah must suffer. You see, it's so easy to look at these things and see the glory and see the amazing fun time this night was in and of itself and not remember the story behind it. It's to look at the, the stories I had of all these great old friends and, and miss out on some of the pain that's behind it. And Jesus is reminding his disciples as they're heading down the mountain that the glory they've just seen and the suffering are not mutually exclusive. In fact, we know that they must go hand in hand. They've seen this amazing sight nobody else had. They had missed it all these other times when he tried to put it right in front of them to say who he is. Now they can't deny it but now they're going to go back down. Remember this glory. Remember this moment on this mountain. Remember this glimpse you've gotten into who I am and what I've done and the eternity of who I am and who God is. Remember that. But now let's go back into the valley where there will be turmoil again. That reality didn't change. We have to see both of those, the glory of God and the suffering in stereo vision. This is back to what we learned last week when he says, if anybody wants to come after me, you have to deny yourself and take up your cross. And remember we said taking up a cross is that picture of not Jesus' cross, but your cross. Are you willing to enter into the realm of those who are despised by people who don't understand? Because that's what the cross represented. Will you step into that? Will you live that cross-shaped life? And the cross-shaped life is not mutually exclusive from the glory of God. They go hand in hand and they are absolutely necessary together. Don't take a picture. Don't just remember the good old days. Allow those moments in life, those points and times where we see things, allow those to be windows into how God wants to change our perspective. Where he wants to heal our spiritual vision bit by bit to now see him more clearly and see the world around us more clearly through his eyes. We have transfiguration moments every day. The opportunity to look beyond the the picture on the surface and see how God wants us to transform our vision. In 2006, we closed a church because on one level, people only wanted the pretty picture. There were all kinds of opportunities that rose up during that time of of turmoil with people and gossip with people where where we could have done things in a different way. The opportunity was ripe to say, this is what true community looks like. This is what forgiveness looks like. This is what confession looks like. This is what restoration looks like. And people would not have anything to do with it. They they wouldn't let that moment be transfigurative. They, were, they only wanted to see the pretty things, and if we didn't present the pretty things, I don't want it. The opportunity was for something amazingly glorious. But we settled for a picture that fades over time. And is at best a, a fuzzy view of what God does. My, my prayer for my life and my family, my prayer for you, is that you would even see today as a transfiguration moment. How do we better look at the world around us? How do we see things for the way they really are because God has given us that insight? How do we see every day as an opportunity to live out the calling that God has on each of our lives to to see things in an amazing way and to be restored by the things of God, to enter into the, the junk of life that goes along with the true glory of God? How do we see both of those at work? How do we be people of forgiveness and of confession? and of restoration, and of love, and of joy, and of patience and peace. How do we do that? We have to have our eyes opened to see things in a new way. To see things as they really are. And not be content with just reminiscing about something back then. This is a challenging passage, and it's an amazingly beautiful one. That Jesus gave these three disciples at this point in time that he wants to do in our lives over and over. We won't see radiant white Jesus show up, but he can give us a glimpse into what he's doing. He can give us a glimpse and a better insight into the world around us than we ever knew possible. We can see a glimpse into how he's called us and who he's equipped us to be. And and I would dare say that in the last 10 years, I've been a better pastor than I ever was when that was my title. And I mess up all the time. And Jesus touches my eyes and says, Now what do you see? Will you open your eyes? Will you get a glimpse into who I really am and who you really are and what I really want to do?